0: listening to the Maniculum. pointing the finger at the middle ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes.
1: If you have not listened to the previous episode, you probably should because this is a continuation of that in which we look at a very different version of the same story. Uh.
0: So now we're getting into Elfric's Lives of Saints version.
1: Yeah. And this this translation is pretty much contemporary with Baron Gould, but okay. the, the text is older. Yeah. Behold, we are beginning <laughs> yes. the passion of the seven blessed sleepers. The name of which saints start. shine in heaven. <laughs> That's the way I want my servants to start and also gleam brightly on earth among Christian men. The first of them, Maximianus, is the leader of his companions. The second beside him is Malchus the Obedient, and the third beside, Martinianus. Then the fourth, Dionysus, the holy Johannes fifth. Then the name of the sixth is Seraphion, and lastly of the seventh, Constantine. The Festival of the Seven Saints is in the year five days before Lamas.
0: Okay, good to know. Tack that one onto your calendars, ladies and gents.
1: Lamas is August 1st according to the Anglican Church, by the way, but I think it very much depends because it's also pagan.
0: Yeah, in origin. Yeah. There you go.
1: In the olden time, long past of the great persecution, when the heathen men desired altogether to quench the beams of Christianity and to destroy every memorial over the earth, and when the blessed martyrs suffered manifold distresses for his name, again, this persecution was mostly accidental. Okay, yeah, fair (laughs) enough when Decius the Perverse held sway over all the (laughs) Roman Empire.
0: Thanks, Alfred.
1: And things went well in his hands as regards this world. Again, everything was falling apart. That's why the sacrifices. Yes. So that he tortured the chosen of God and afflicted them with miseries and punished them without fear just as he would. Then it happened at a certain season that he went into a city which men named Constantinople, which was the chief city in Greece. And thence he journeyed to Carthage and thence to Ephesus.
0: Constantinople and Greece.
1: That's kind of ping-ponging around a bit, too. Yeah. Because right. Carthage is, like, in where Africa. Tunisia is now.
0: Yeah. Okay, so he's, he's making a little world tour, empire hmm. tour.
1: Isn't Ephesus closer to Constantinople than to Carthage? Yes, undoubtedly. When he had gone to the three cities, then he bade summon to him very speedily all the citizens together, saying that he desired to hold a council with them. As soon as those who believed in God learnt that, then they were all exceedingly afraid, and all their congregations were immediately disturbed, and the holy priests and all the good men became on a sudden grievously troubled. Then he, Decius the Emperor, when he marched into Ephesus with magnificence and pomp, lifted up his heart greatly above measure as if he were God.
0: All right, all right.
1: Then began he to erect idols in the churches, and bade that every man should forthwith offer sacrifice to the devil with him, on pain of capital punishment.
0: The devil. It's the devil this
1: time. I mean, I'm not sure Alfred knows the difference between the devil and, like, Jupiter. He probably just thinks Jupiter is like a costume the devil wears.
0: Probably. Yeah, yeah, that checks out.
1: And everyone did so for dread of the emperor and durst not do otherwise. But each one defiled himself miserably in body and soul with that idolatry. Wheresoever any idol was set up, all the citizens came together from day to day according to the emperor's commands, and they slew their heifers and cattle of every kind. And there the heathens strewed burning coals all about, and thereupon offered to the devil And the thickness of the smoke and the smell of the flesh rose up on every side throughout the city just as if it were mist so that one could see nigh nothing there save smoke alone.
0: A dramatic rendering from Alfric.
1: He's like that. He's very fire and brimstone. Yes. And while the heathen rejoiced in such diabolic delusion, those who believed in God wept and lamented, and continued in the greatest sadness to think that they should ever have seen with their eyes such miseries as they saw there, and that the devil should ever have so great dominion. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yada 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 yada. They're very <laughs> sad.
0: Alas, alas, alas! O oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear! Persecution, persecution.
1: Yes. All right. I'm going to skip like. A third of the page here. Cool. Because it's all that. People are sad. The emperor says, anyone who's not sacrificing, go get them. Except right. he actually just says Christians. Because, again, they they want to uh, ignore the fact that this persecution was, again, kind of an accident.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah. we haven't heard a single mention of Jews at all. No. But we wouldn't expect that in one of these stories anyway. No.
1: I'm actually kind of surprised Alfred doesn't bring that up and say that they're, like, in league with him. The Jews? Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. you know... Uh-huh. A lot of these Old English sermons are very anti-Semitic.
0: Anti-Semitic. Like, yeah. if you
1: read the story of Elena, it's so f***ed yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the, the Jews crucified Christ, therefore they're outcasts in medieval society, generally speaking.
1: But anyway, the emperor sends people to find people who aren't doing what they're supposed to. Did they, the heralds, and many others, as hoping for the pay, there's a bounty went and sought the Christians wherever they could find them, and tried to please the emperor to receive some pay from him. And these heathen men, when they anywhere found Christian men, drove them out and carried them before them like little grasshoppers. <laughs> 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 All right. I have no idea what that image is supposed to be.
0: Like little grasshoppers. That's not the first thing that <laughs> will have popped into my mind, but I'm definitely not going to fall asleep during this sermon
1: and brought them to the people, where all men were worshipping idols with the emperor, and compelled the Christians to submit to the devil like themselves, and some of them did so. So miserable was their lot, for when they saw so manifold terrors and diverse torments, they soon became disheartened and fell down prostrate and sacrificed to the devil before all the people, however much they might rue the time. Yadda 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 yadda. Some people sacrifice. Yes. There's like a paragraph on that. But those who steadfastly believed, etc, etc, these the heathen respected not a whit, but punished them by every affliction and sundered all their limbs one from the other, even as the blowing of the wind sweepeth dust from the earth. And they cut them up and mocked them all, and like a second deluge so flowed their blood. And they hung the headless on the town walls and set their heads like those of others who were thieves outside the town walls upon head stakes. So we're going full
0: Game of Thrones here. Yes. All right.
1: And there immediately flew thither rooks and ravens and birds of many kinds and hacked out the eyes of the holy martyrs and flew again into the city over the town walls and rent into pieces the holy beloved ones of God and in their bloody bills bare the flesh of the martyrs, the entrails and the inward parts and devoured them all. It's bad. It's bad. (laughs) Except if you're a bird.
0: Yeah, then you're living pretty good.
1: Or I guess if you're a pagan, because then everything's fine. Like... That's fair. Although maybe you feel bad for how out of hand like, this has all gotten.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. But again, this is not accurate really
1: whatsoever. <laughs> no. no, it's it's pretty clear that Alfred just has like an outline and he's expanding on it.
0: That's amazing.
1: Alright, so there's a long like an entire page of that.
0: Oh wow. Of just description? Yes. Fantastic.
1: Just picking a random line so you get a sampling. What can lamentation or bewailing be if that was not the fullness of both when afterwards they thus seized and bound the saints and scourged and ah! burnt them and cut them up like stuck swine? Oh, no.
0: So you know that, you know the the preacher in Skyrim who stands in front of that statue of of Talos?
1: I do not play video games.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm sure there's. Bound to be somebody listening who knows what I'm talking about. There's this preacher who stands in front of this massive statue in one of the like first cities you go to. And he's got this great little speech. And he just stands there and he goes, Talos, the mighty, the onating! And he just goes off about Talos. And by the third time you've heard this, you're like, okay, I'm getting real sick of this. And half of the game, like the primary conflict of Skyrim is between the storm cloaks and the imperials and it's basically the storm cloaks are prejudiced but they want to worship their god but they're racially prejudiced against elves and aragonians and whatever else and then you've got the imperials who are basically imperialists and they want to take over to you know bring diversity to the kingdom but also they're authoritarian and completely whack and they
1: i feel like no one's the good guy in this description
0: Exactly, that's the point. So you're like, well, now, who do I side with? But there's this preacher in here who just goes off just like this. And it's amazing. So if you're looking for a good reference for your D&D games, you know, don't turn to Skyrim anymore. Just turn to Alfric. You've got so much good content here.
1: Another good uh, reference for the same is the Sermon of Wolfstan against the English.
0: Yes, yes. Very much.
1: Which, incidentally, just wild tangent here. The first time I went to Kalamazoo, the conference at Kalamazoo, Mm -hmm. I went to a performance by the Pseudo Society, which is a group that for the past like 40 years or so does a panel in like one of the larger rooms at Kalamazoo where they talk about the texts and things they have recently uncovered, which are completely made up. Hence, oh my, society.
0: Oh my gosh, this is amazing! I can't believe I had to miss Kalamazoo because I was graduating. Ugh.
1: And then again, because plague.
0: Because plague, I know.
1: You should totally come this this next year.
0: I should if I can if I can get across the ocean safely.
1: A note from future Mac. Sadly, as a result of the plague, the conference at Kalamazoo is fully online, both this year and next year, which just isn't going to be the same. So, Zoe will have missed four years of Kalamazoo. This episode is coming out just after the all-online Kalamazoo conference this year ends, so maybe send Zoe some condolences. Uh. But anyway, the first year I was there, the best one presented was the sermon of the bad wolf against the English, which was just someone describing a text that was much like the sermon of the wolf against the English. Wolf stands just called the wolf in the, the title.
0: The wolf. Okay, that's pretty badass, though. Yeah. Like, what if you're like, what if you're a preacher and you're just called the wolf? Well, That'd I be think spooky. it's because
1: the title is given in Latin. So it's sermon Lupo. Lupo, that it's, makes it's sense. hard to Latinize Wolfstan.
0: Wolfstan, yeah.
1: But it starts out as just talking about, oh yeah, this is a very similar sermon as the one we all know, although it does mention these different things, and it lists like a variety of supposed sins, some of which are oh. made up, and some of which yes. are things that are clearly just. What they've observed here at the conference cause like, and people practice booklust <laughs> and wine oh. drinkery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, that checks out.
1: And then eventually it just, oh. just devolves into Doctor Who references because Bad Wolf.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's a throwback. Oh, man.
1: Anyway, I heard
0: I heard that one year Professor Armstrong just had an entire wheel of cheese at some point. Like she just took an entire wheel of cheese.
1: I think I remember that. Yes, yes, I do remember that. Oh
0: my gosh. She's amazing. We we love you. We love you, Professor Armstrong. There
1: was too much cheese at the dinner, and so she just took <laughs> a wheel back to Yes. room.
0: Yes! <laughs> Medievalist gone crazy.
1: I'm so disappointed that it had to be canceled this year.
0: Fingers crossed. Okay. Anyway,
1: I've, I've lost my place.
0: We're skipping past some of the beautiful description of the lamenting and the gnashing of teeth.
1: Lots of that. There were there denounced seven holy men, faithful to God, whose names he wrote in the opening words of their holy passion. Remember so those on. guys you mentioned like three pages ago? <laughs> Man. They're very Christian. They're very sad. <laughs> and they are sad on the Emperor's account. Because they had been formerly his nearest followers in his household. Which is a new wrinkle. That is a new wrinkle. And again, hmm. doesn't make sense. Because no. if Decius's nearest seven friends had said, Hey, we're Christians, he would have been, I'm sorry, you're what?
0: And also in Ephesus.
1: Yeah. And also if his advisors were Christians, he would have exempted them just like he did oh, for the Jews.
0: Obviously. Or he wouldn't even put the, the order through.
1: Yeah. It doesn't Come make on, sense. Come on, Alfred.
0: Get your facts straight here.
1: Anyway, so they pray. They pray. Then it befell them that some spying men went amidst them and carefully observed these seven. Whenever every man was sought for that he might sacrifice to the idol. And so they found these seven saints, holy youths. They're very young. They're In all the versions of the story, they're, they're young. They're now. very young. Which, why is the emperor hanging around with these kids?
0: See, this reminds me of, what is it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible story.
1: Are they also young? I just remember that they were in a furnace.
0: Yeah, they were, they were these... Three young young kids who are brought in to the king, and because they're good looking youths, and he's like, I want to have servants in my house, whatever. And he takes he takes like a fancy to them, and he's like, you're not. You're not eating at my table. You're not eating pagan food. And they're like, yes, we refuse. And he's like, well, I'm casting you into the furnace. And so they go into the furnace and there's a fourth man in there, which is like the angel of the Lord. And then they exit and they're like, we're fine. But then a centurion or a soldier goes up to the furnace and is immediately like immolated because it's so hot.
1: That sounds like a wild overreaction to why won't you eat bacon?
0: I mean, yes, but again,
1: same thing in
0: this case. Yeah, Yeah, kings, that's true.
1: Anyway, they're praying and someone found them. Alas. It's what that was. Yes. And he spins like an entire paragraph recording this to Decius. Okay. When the emperor heard this, then he became greatly disturbed in mind and bad that they should be brought straightway to him. It definitely says straightway and not straightaway. I think that might be a Victorianism.
0: I think so. Yes.
1: And immediately they came with eyes streaming because of the great anguish. All their heads were sprinkled with dust, yet all their affection was firm in their trust of the eternal lord. Then he, the emperor, asked and thus cried, Why are ye separated from the society of your companions, that ye would not keep my command, that ye have not brought offerings to the great gods? Suddenly Alfric has remembered that these are polytheists and they're not actually sacrificing to the devil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But now I pray you and command each of you that ye zealously begin it and very quickly fulfill it. And do it without evasion, as I have commanded you, and as all men do widely throughout every nation. Then one of the youths, the holy Maximianus, answered him alone for them all and gave a sermon. He's basically just God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Gospel message.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just literally like the basic tenet of, of the Trinity for like half a page. Fair enough. When Decius the Emperor heard these words, then he did not oppose each one separately, but he bade men cut off... From each their sword scabbards, and bad men bind them firmly with bonds, and said to them all, since ye will not offer to the great gods, ye shall never henceforth be to me so worthy nor so dear as ye were before. But ye shall be... F*** <laughs> 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 off, is what he's saying. Go away. Okay. I don't want you Go away, anymore. I don't like you anymore. Yeah, and then after he's given a very long speech to them at this, he basically says, I know that, like, I'm supposed to execute you here, but I'm not gonna, just... Go away. (laughs) Just
0: go away. So he's not even threatening them with death.
1: No. Here's the narration at the end of his speech. When the emperor had thus spoken to them then, because they were dear to him, he bade men unbind them all again and send them away unbound, that they may all travel away freely whithersoever they would.
0: So where is the peril here? Where is the reason they go hiding in a cave?
1: Let's find out.
0: Oh, no. Come on, Albert. You had the perfect... It was so perfect.
1: And then it notes that Decius goes on to other cities and keeps doing the same thing.
0: Okay, yes.
1: Then Maximianus, the saint of God, and his six companions, God's chosen ones, after they had received the respite and had some leisure, they then fully completed the holy work which they had begun ere they stood before the emperor. For they received from their kinsmen abundant treasure... Immense quantities of silver and gold, and spent them all publicly and privately for the sake of God, and distributed to poor men, and took counsel among themselves, and thus unanimously spoke, Better we should free ourselves from the tumult of this population. Let us go into the great cave here beyond of the Kellyan Hill, and let us there pray earnestly to God. Basically, they decide that they're going to go be hermits.
0: So they're just going to be hermits.
1: Yeah, they're going to be hermits.
0: I'm disappointed in Alfred here. Come on, he had such a great fiery sermon at the beginning of this, and he he could have had the whole threatened by death thing.
1: All right. And the money which they still had left, they took with them in the cave in common, and all went in thither, and continued there in many days, and with prostrate bodies they prayed fervently.
0: They do have treasure in this one. Oh my gosh!
1: They spent most of it, like, just distributing it, but they did, like... Keep a a little storehouse of money because they appointed a faithful steward and very discreet. The name of this blessed man was Malchus the Good. Is this a different Malchus than... I assume this is the same one.
0: I would figure it's the same good.
1: His office was to provide their meat at all times. That is actually a mistranslation I'm willing to bet because meat in Old English just means food in general. It hadn't gotten that specific
0: Hmm. connotation yet. That makes sense, especially because Malchus was the one in the other version of the story who's going into the town.
1: Right, to buy bread. So I assumed that 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 should have been translated as food.
0: Okay, checks out.
1: And as often as he went into the city, he showed himself in the appearance of a poor man and privately inquired how it fared in the emperor's household, and as diligently as he could, distributed alms to poor men. So they've got so much money they can give it away and still be able to not worry about affording food. So they really do have a treasure in the hill. yeah. And bought meat for his companions and brought it to them And made known to them every word which he had heard spoken anywhere within the town about them Then it befell that whilst these things were taking place The emperor came again with his army into the city of Ephesus And he straight away paid summon the holy Maximian and his six companions with him That they all together might sacrifice to the devils
0: So he's still on about this yeah, he, He's he like I let you go but I changed like, your mind I
1: changed my mind go find these guys Oh, wow. All right. Malchus the Faithful fled instantly from the city with awe and fear, having with him, however, some scanty food, and came to his companions and told them everything. They're very upset. They eat the food. Then among them, one by one, they napped, and so long reclined that they were all <laughs> asleep together.
0: This time, without the grace of God, they would just taken a nap.
1: All their eyes were made heavy by the manifold bitter tears with which they had let fall there. And in that great sorrow, they lay and slept.
0: That makes sense. You get tired after a cry. Yeah.
1: But God, the almighty creator, who is the ruler of all creatures, who to his chosen is as mild as a mother to her own child himself, ordained for the seven saints that they should sleep thus. There we go. So he gave permission. Yes. After they were asleep.
0: Fair enough. He's like, I'm just going to, you know, turn the timer, turn the alarm a little farther down.
1: Yes. They are asleep. The emperor searches for them they can't find them then the emperor sad in mind spake to his thanes with words such as these the missing of my favorites is a great unhappiness to me that they have so suddenly and entirely escaped us
0: I'm not believing this anymore
1: no it's 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 like ridiculous. no he is
0: not your favorite they are not your favorite whatsoever
1: others of his advisors say this to him he goes on for that like that for a while like oh i miss them of course Lord of all men throughout this wide world, we pray thy kingship that thou be not at all dreary or sorry for the young boys, enemies of all gods. Again, they've remembered their polytheists and not Satanists. Because they have continued in evil under thee, Lord, until this present day. According to that which we have heard, after that thou didst allow them that respite wherein they might bethink themselves, they have ever sought how they might misplease thee utterly. All the evil that they have begun before, they have afterward fully performed. And here's the evil. They have taken from their kinsmen countless treasures and cast them all about the open city ways, and are now concealed and hidden in secret so that no man can anywhere find them. They gave away lots of their family wealth and became hermits.
0: They're not wrong, in a sense. Like, that is a fair interpretation of what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but like, it's a stretch to call that evil. I think anyone who has family wealth should consider giving it all away and becoming a hermit. Yes. And they suggest that the emperor summon their families and torture them until they admit where they're hiding.
0: Okay, that checks out.
1: Then the emperor bade he fetch the kinsmen and began to say these words to them. Where are the apostates? Your wicked kinsmen who have slighted my command so that they have not offered any sacrifice to the worthy gods. Unless ye now here betray them, ye shall endure their punishment. And this is literally an entire page. But here's the summary. The kinsmen say, well, like we're on board with Jupiter and whatnot. Our relatives who aren't are hiding in the Kellyan Hill. Don't hurt us.
0: Okay, so they rat them out, unlike the other story.
1: No dog in this hunt. They're like, yeah, on your side. Like, chill, guys, chill. And the emperor's like, oh, okay, fine, go. And they ran away because they were afraid that he would change his mind again.
0: Because there was a precedent for that. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. So, God then sends this thought into the emperor's mind, that he bade the entrance of the cave within which they lay to be all blocked up with hewn stones because God willed that they should rest there quietly and sleep untouched in the cave until the quickly completed time when he would again manifest them to mankind by his great glory for a great need. Okay. Basically, God whispers to Decius and goes like, Hey, I need you to wall up that cave because I'm saving those for later.
0: (laughs) So all of a sudden, this evil emperor is now, like, the hand of God.
1: Yes, but he filters it through his own interpretation. So this is this is then how he gives the order.
0: Okay, makes sense.
1: Let them go very quickly thither yonder to the cave wherein the apostate slumber hidden, and block them up therein all alive with hewn stones on every side, that they may never any longer see the sunbeams, nor have mirth with us henceforth, since they would not observe our command. But let them be there in misery... Closed up on either hand until death altogether swallowed them up.
0: Amazing. He really doesn't skimp on the drama.
1: No. Very dramatic. Very fire and brimstone. They go to do this. But then it happened that they went among them twain of the emperor's favorites. The emperor's got a lot of favorites. Mm -hmm. They were very dear to him. Nevertheless, they were both secretly Christians, as are many of the emperor's favorites for some reason.
0: Apparently.
1: The one was named Theodore. And the other, Rufinus. Then they spake between themselves that no man knew it save themselves that. Uh, okay, what they're gonna do? They're going to write down the martyrology of these holy martyrs, to quote the actual line.
0: Oh, wow, okay.
1: So basically, they decided we're gonna write this down and put it in the cave.
0: So then there's not. Oh, so we're gonna miss this whole, like, beautiful moment where Malchus goes into the town and gets really confused.
1: Maybe. We'll see.
0: Oh, all right, okay. I'm lying in wait here.
1: They went into the cave secretly apart and engraved with letters on a leaden tablet the holy Martyrology, just as it had happened, and they sealed up the writing with two silver seals in a casket and laid it therein very secretly beside the saints.
0: <laughs> We're just gonna slide this casket in
1: <laughs> They've got this thing made of lead and silver that's just like tucked away, saying. If you have found these dead bodies, this is what happened.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Then about that time died Decius abroad. The evil emperor and all his kindred every whit. That's at least half true.
0: The whole line died.
1: Decius does die. Like, again, he's ruled for less than two years. And he did die right. suddenly in battle. And one of his sons also died in that same battle. But his other son succeeded okay. him as emperor. So all of his kindred died is probably an exaggeration.
0: Fair enough. I'm impressed that that amount of factuality got stuck in this story. Yeah. Given everything else that we've read.
1: Honestly, I think it might be a mistake. (laughs) Fair enough. It's one of those broken clock things. Yeah. All right. Anyway, in this version, it's now the 38th year of Theodosius II. Okay. And there sprang up everywhere among God's people great heresy.
0: Okay, so that's a common theme.
1: We get now a long, long time where he's like, okay, people are saying that the bodily resurrection isn't real. And that's heresy, because here is a line from the Bible that says it is. Yes. That's going on for a while, like multiple pages. I just summed up there. That's that's just what that's it is. That's impressive.
0: I am dutifully impressed by Alfric's commitment to exposition.
1: He's got to fill a whole sermon.
0: Yeah, but how long are these sermons?
1: Pretty long, I think. Yeah. Anyway, after we get that exposition, we then shift Mm -hmm. to a very prudent man who owned possession all over the Kellyan Hill, in the midst of which was the cave, etc. And he... Allowed his shepherd boy's cots to be reared there all about the hill that they might lie there handy to their lord's cattle. He's building little um, shelters for his shepherds on that hill because that's where the cattle and the sheep are. Makes sense. And while they're building these little shelters, they find this already hewn stone. And they're like, great, we'll use this.
0: Makes sense.
1: And apparently it takes them two days before they manage to move enough of the stone to...
0: Get into the cave. Actually
1: get into the cave, yeah. Then it happened that God willed that the holy company should be awaked, who had rested in the cave a fitting time. Here's just a passage that gives you a sense of the stuff I'm skipping whenever I say, and then there's, like, doctrine. Right. And he then, our savior, he to unborn children, giveth life in their mother's womb. He who by his power waketh from death the scared bones. Scared bones? Seared bones. He who also (laughs) brought Lazarus to life and awaked him from death about three days after he was buried. He himself extraordinarily by his own deed awaked them. God woke him up.
0: All right. Yes. Makes sense.
1: And they all sat up in sound health after their own manner and sung their psalms. Because that's what you do when you wake up in the morning. You all sing.
0: Glory, glory, hallelujah. It's a new day.
1: Amazing. Not only was there no mark of death upon them, but their clothing was not at all moth-eaten.
0: Okay, yeah, that's impressive. Okay, so these guys got up and started singing. Mm -hmm. And presumably the guys who were at the mouth of the cave can hear the singing echoing through.
1: You'd think that, but no, the shepherds are out of the story now. That's it? They just- They're just the ones who moved the stones.
0: Disappointing, but okay. All right. There's so many twists and turns in every version of this tale.
1: This is- The stuff that I mean when I say that that Alfric is very repetitive he is constantly reminding us. Now, remember, these guys think it's still 300 years ago.
0: Right. Like he can't get
1: past that as like the conceit of this story. He's convinced that his congregation is going to forget it or get confused. Okay. All right. He explains once more. Remember, these guys don't know what year it is. Then they all looked to Malchus, who was one of their companions, and he was also their steward. And they then asked him what he had heard in the evening. This is the same thing as before. Like, hey, remember how we talked and cried and prayed last night? You forgot to actually tell us anything about what you heard in town. Could you tell us now?
0: <laughs> I love that this is the common theme. Ugh.
1: And Malchus says, yeah, the emperor is trying to kill us. Again, that's an entire paragraph.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you, Alfred.
1: Then answered Maximianus and said to his brethren... If it shall so happen that men find us here and lead us for God's name to the emperor, let us straight away go thither very readily and let him command such punishment as he may command us.
0: So they're going to submit themselves then. Then why were they hiding? Okay. Well, they weren't. Right.
1: They were hermits.
0: Oh, yeah. Fair enough. That's fair.
1: In this version, they were hermits. They're, they weren't under That's threat true. until recently.
0: Yes. Granted.
1: And they, the brothers, they're brothers now. Maybe brothers in God. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that would check out.
1: Cried to Malchus and said to him... Take now, brother, a sum of money with thee, and go to the town with it, and buy us a portion of bread. And inquire diligently, as well as thou canst, what the emperor may have commanded concerning us. And do us again, and do... Mm -hmm. And do us all again to... Tell us. Tell us what you hear.
0: Okay, yes.
1: (laughs) Translated in a very awkward manner. Buy us, however, more liberally of bread today than thou boughtest yesterday and bring us better bread than thou before broughtest, because the loaves were very scanty, which came to us yesterday.
0: Okay. They seem like picky hermits, but okay.
1: You'd think that hermits would be okay with, like, cheap bread. Yeah. Um, Then we have another reminder that the saints still think it's 300 years ago, and Malchus goes into town with two and sixty (laughs) pence.
0: It's listed? Like, it's all right. Okay.
1: Well, it says that's
0: just beautiful.
1: It does say a certain sum of money, and then Alfred says uh, it's probably around two and sixty pence. Like he gives, a, and he is
0: making that up. He's
1: contextualizing it to his congregation.
0: Oh my gosh! This is like the football analogies in sermons. <laughs> is it? Oh, there are so many. I don't understand. Like every Super Bowl season, the pastor has to make a football analogy. And I don't understand why, because like for, I don't watch football, I am not into football, like American football. I don't get it. But everything I know about football is in the context of how it can be used as an analogy to a sermon. That's wild. That is the entire, like, like, <laughs> Christ is the quarterback of the football team that is the church.
1: <laughs> is he really? That's interesting. <laughs>
0: I don't know. That's like, that's what I thought of. But, okay, so Alfred is, Alfred is, is contextualizing this for his, for his congregation. Yes. By dropping a sum of money. Yes. Okay,
1: beautiful. And the superscription of the money was of the very minting that had been struck in the first year of Decius's succession to the kingdom. Yes. Here is once again a reminder that Decius' first year actually covers the majority of his reign.
0: Yes. And also that it was 300 years ago. Yes.
1: Four times they changed the coinage in his days while the saints still dwelt among other men. I think these are different saints, just saints in general. Okay. And in the first minting, there were two and 60 pence weight of silver in one coin. And in the second, just 60. And in the third, four and 40. And in the fourth, still less as they reckoned it there.
0: Okay. So he's actually talking about the devaluation of the money. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, It's helpful. See, now my question would be, what does that tell us about the valuation of currency, or at least how currency was viewed at the time of his writing this?
1: That is a good question, because clearly he understands the devaluation of money, so like he gets that part. There's a certain level of fiat.
0: If he goes in with 260, it would be valued as much more, like I'm trying to figure out if he could do that calculation, and then try and figure out, okay, would 260 pence, like Would that have been a lot of money in Alfred's time or not? I'm not sure. That's what I would want to know, because then that sort of gives you not only how much a bunch of bread should cost, but also, if this is contextually for the story, a lot of money that was like compared to what the devalued currency was, then that should give us a bracket of how much you would expect to spend on bread.
1: I will let you research this. Actually, I might look it up later, but... (laughs) <laughs> also, it's not 260, it's 2 and 60. You know, like 4 and 20. 2 black and kids. 60.
0: Right, makes sense.
1: He goes to the town, and he's worried about the emperor. Because remember, he doesn't know the emperor is dead. Alfred is very concerned that his congregation does not understand the conceit of this story.
0: It's too complicated for these peasant folks. It's not my dramatic exposition that's making them confused, I swear.
1: Also, here's a line from that, which I I actually like just because of the phrasing. He, the saint, knew not that the other miserable man was dead, and had not even one bone joined with the others, but they lay everywhere broken to pieces and thrown about over the wide earth.
0: Oh, wow. That's what you get for being a pagan, I guess.
1: Well, he was hacked apart by goths in a swamp, so he might be pretty dismembered.
0: Ooh, yeah, that would do it. That would definitely do it. Okay, so... As Malchus is leaving, he hasn't noticed that there is a lead and silver casket with an engraving on the side of the cave. completely missed it. All right. Okay, just checking.
1: And then we get the same scene where he's like, oh, there are crosses over the gates. What does it mean? What does it mean? Moreover, he saw the city turned all into another kind from what it was before, and the dwellings throughout the city all built in another fashion from what they were before. Because presumably during the reign of Decius, they were made out of like shit and mud and straw. And now they're made out of actual house. And marble. And he could recognize no part of the city any more than the man who had never seen it with his eyes. And he has the same thing where like, yesterday there were no crosses and today there are crosses everywhere. Am I dreaming? So he covers his head with a cloth and goes into town and goes to the market. Okay. And, again, we have the same thing where, like, everyone's using the word Jesus. And he's like, no one was allowed to say this yesterday. And now everyone's saying it. <laughs> this can't be Ephesus. It looks nothing like Ephesus. People don't talk like it's Ephesus. But also, I just came out of the Kellyan Hill, and I know how to get from the Kellyan Hill to Ephesus. So how could I be somewhere else?
0: Right. Makes sense. And so he
1: grabs a random young passers-by and says... Lo, well may it be with thee, good man. I earnestly desire to know <laughs> from thee the right name of this city, if thou wilt inform me. Then said the young man to him, I will tell thee full quickly. The city is called Ephesus, and it was thus called from a very early time.
0: Amazing.
1: <laughs> I like Amazing the padding Amazing dialogue. Lo! And then there is just a really long time where Alfred is hammering in why Malchus might be confused.
0: We get it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Alfred,
0: we get it. It makes sense why he's confused.
1: Okay, he dresses like a beggar and goes to where they're selling bread. And when he came thither, he at once drew pennies out of his bosom. Presumably a bag near his bosom and not... Literally from his chest. Or maybe he keeps his money in his bra. Who knows? It's a good place to store. It. I've seen it done. Yes. I've seen it done very unsettlingly because I used to be a cashier in Mississippi where it gets hot and people would pull <laughs> sweaty bills out of their shirt and hand them to me and I'd be like, this is gross.
0: Oh, less fun. Oh, oh, that's just gross. Yeah, exactly. Don't do that. Especially not now. Yeah. We're in a pandemic, people. Very bad. Don't do that.
1: Although it would honestly be funny if someone just kept pennies in their bra because I feel like that would be hilariously inconvenient.
0: Ew, completely. Ugh.
1: And they, the market man, market man? The market myth looked at the pennies very earnestly, and they wondered inquiringly at seeing such money. And they beheld the pennies there as a curiosity, and handed them over amongst themselves from bench to bench, and showed them to be looked at, and said among themselves, Without doubt that which we all see here is true, that this unknown young man has hath found very long ago a very old gold treasure, and hath hid it secretly now for many years. I feel like they're making some unwarranted assumptions. How do you know he didn't find it yesterday? There you go. That's a good question. Same thing. He freaks out because he's like, oh... There's something wrong. These guys are going to arrest me and take me to the emperor. Tell you what, you keep the pennies and keep the bread and I'm going to go.
0: He's just getting out of Dodge. Poor
1: Malchus. Which is the same as he did in the other version. And just like in the other version, they follow good Christian tradition and says, wait, you got to tell us where you got the money.
0: We're going to kidnap you.
1: Um, And, yeah, they tie a rope around his neck and drag him into the middle of the market. So that is unchanged. Unchanged.
0: Good to know.
1: Big crowd. Let's see. And no one recognizes him, and he recognizes no one. And it's because, yada, yada, this is the conceit of the story.
0: Figured that one out.
1: (laughs) Anyway, they go and tell the bishop Marinus and the town Reeve about what's going on. Okay. And they come down to the market. And it's all very dramatic, because people are still yelling at him, Where'd you get the money? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Then the bishop and the town reeve took his pennies and scrutinized them before the people and wondered exceedingly at them, because they had never before seen with their eyes such coin, which was struck in old days, in Decius the Emperor's time. And his likeness was engraven thereon, and his name written there all round. Mm -hmm. Then said the town reeve to Malchus, Tell us now where the old treasure is which thou hast secretly found and concealed it all until now, lest thou shouldst deny it. Here is the man full close at hand who has some of the money in his hands which thou broughtest thither, and thou gavest it to him out of thy hands. Oh my gosh. Malchus is just like, look, I got this money from my family. It's part of my family's Mm -hmm. wealth. I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about any treasure. Like,
0: this is just the coinage, fam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they have the same thing where they're like, Where are you from? I'm from here. Tell us the names of your parents. My parents are Karen and Bob. There are no Karen and Bob in this town.
0: Yes, precisely.
1: So he's definitely lying. Because, Here may every man see who has any skill in the art of numbers and the superscription of these pennies here showeth it openly to all men that it is even more than 302 and 70 years since the like money was current on the earth and all men traded with it. And he goes on like that for a bit. Yes. This coinage is super old, and none of us have any coinage like you. And there's still no Bob and Karen here.
0: Yes, checks out.
1: Now standest thou here, a young man, and desirest to delude with thy deceit the old counselors of this city. But thou shalt be taught otherwise, that thou needest no longer uphold us with thy lies. I will give orders that they shall bind thee very fast, both hands and feet. And scourge thee often and repeatedly, even as the statute book teacheth concerning such men, and afflict thee with every sorrow. Then shalt thou, in spite of thyself, reveal the treasure which thou wouldest not before make known of thine own will.
0: So we're going to torture you. Yeah.
1: Now, to be fair, this is the town reeve. <laughs> so we're basically talking a sheriff.
0: Yeah. So he's got that right.
1: Well, I was going to say it's basically just civil asset forfeiture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Pretty much, yes.
1: A-C-A-B, fam. He begs for mercy and says, This master I would ask if you would tell me where is Decius the emperor, he who was here in this city. Then answered him the Bishop Marinus and said to Malchus, My dear child, there is not today the emperor living on earth who is named Decius, the emperor whom thou askest... Ab- he's dead. He's been dead a while.
0: Yeah, he's long gone.
1: Malchus says... That is the one thing, dear Lord, which oppresses me all day, and that is the one fear which so greatly afflicts me in my mind, and no man will believe my words. But I pray you now humbly that ye will follow after me a little while. I have very near at hand a few companions. They are here, yonder in the cave on the Kellyan Hill. Ye may believe without doubt the meaning of all of this. And then he explains. Uh, we were persecuted in the reign of Decius, and Ephesus was different then. And I'm not. It's weird that Ephesus is different now, and I'm confused. But, 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 but
0: yes. So same as the other one.
1: Yes. So they all go to the cave, and when they entered in, they found on the right hand a casket which was sealed with two silver seals, and which the two faithful I men wonder. To, they it right away. So they carry out the casket and open it and read it, and it notes that here here's the quotation from the tablet that they fled from Decius the emperor and suffered his persecution, Maximianus, who was the son of the city Reeve, Malchus, Martinianus, Dionysius, Johannes, Seraphion, Constantine. These are the saints who, according to the command of Decius the emperor, were enclosed with wrought stones in this cave, and we too, Theodorus and Rufinus, wrote their martyrology and laid it herein with these saints upon a stone. And so they're all very impressed, and they sent a letter to the emperor Theodosius, which says... Something along these lines. Humbly I greet thee, my lord, and I pray thy glorious kingship... Emperor, you're super great. Also...
0: <laughs> As the befits approaching an emperor.
1: The future resurrection of all men is now made known to us through open signs, and God's holy martyrs are arisen and have speech with mankind concerning it.
0: They think these guys came back from the dead.
1: Yeah. This is something yeah. I skipped over when I, when they were talking about the heresy. Theodosius is very upset about the heresy and has been like wearing sackcloth and the like.
0: (laughs) All right. Good to know he cares so much.
1: Actually, let me see if I can find that passage real quick. Okay, here we go. Therefore, for these things was Theodosius, the great exceedingly grieved. And for that sorrow, he clothed his body with mean raiment and was alone without servants in his inner chamber and shut himself therein. And there mournfully demeaned himself before God because he knew not what he ought to believe since those most troubled him. And brought him into uncertainty who should have been his counselors. So he's like shut up all alone by himself wearing sackcloth and going, I don't know what's going on.
0: A very effective emperor.
1: Well, I mean, he's not a theologian. He's very confused that people are giving him different theologies.
0: I mean, I would be confused too, to be fair. So they call the king.
1: Yeah. And when Theodosius reads this letter, he's thrilled because he's like, great, this solves my problem. And so he, he gets dressed properly and leaves his tiny private room. He does a pray for a while. Uh, and he immediately went swiftly with great haste in his chariot from the city Constantinople to Ephesus. And everyone was very excited.
0: Woo-hoo. Yes, because the emperor is here.
1: And then they ascended the Kellian Hill with the emperor and approached the saints who were in the cave. And they, the holy martyrs, went then to meet the emperor. And as soon as they looked upon him, all their countenances began to shine like the thoroughly bright sun.
0: So that's that's the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're light bulb heads. They glow. <laughs> and he, the emperor, then went in and there prostrated himself before the saints and they hug. Theodosius says, "It quite seemeth to me, since I see you here thus before me, as if I were very nigh at hand to the Saviour, our Lord, and beheld him with my eyesight when he awaked Lazarus from the tomb." Do-do-do. Yeah, and now it seemeth to me just as I stand visibly before his glorious Majesty. And hear his own voice as it is to be heard in the future, when at his great advent all men universally shall continue. Then they said, Now, now. That is actually in the text. Then they said, Now, now. May God Almighty grant also that thou mayest live in joy. And we will be for thee here within, oftentimes praying God for this, that he will preserve thee in holy fullness of faith and the strength of thy belief, and thy kingdom in peace, and that our Savior, the Son of the living God, may shield thee in his name against all enemies, both in this life and in that which is to come, end quote, to his glory, who liveth to eternity, and reigneth with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Holy Ghost, to all ages, of ages, ever without end. Amen. Amen. Yes. I feel like the most severe difference in the ending is that the seven sleepers do not just keel over dead. They decide to keep being hermits.
0: I just, these, these stories are so confusing. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh so in one they die and in the other one they just continue to be hermits
1: yeah they're like we've already got a, a nice cave and, and we're all set up
0: and we got, we still have this money which has increased in value now
1: yeah compound interest bro so we'll pray for you
0: nice <laughs> hashtag thoughts and prayers <laughs> oh wow oh no all right okay i think i prefer the first version because it's so like you don't you really don't expect the next thing and in Alphrix it's like yes there happens to be a casket that they just happened not to see the first time that they went by and then also they don't just drop dead but I have to give a plus to Alphrix for his sheer ability to expound and just the exposition
1: yeah
0: there's so much dramatic exposition
1: I feel like part of that is because Alfric's sermons are it is an oral medium and I think they yes. even had like alliteration and stuff in the original Old English. And so you you have to expand a little bit to fit in the alliteration, but not nearly as much as he's doing. He is definitely stretching. Amazing. Oh, the poison. The poison for Cusco, the poison made specifically to kill Cusco, Cusco's poison.
0: That poison. Yes. Yep. Oh wow. Amazing.
1: Which is also a comment that I like to leave on my students' papers whenever I feel like they're just (laughs) trying to reach the word count.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: All right, so that's what I brought. What say you?
0: I think I like the, Lo, tell me what town this is. That was good.
1: That's a good one. I would also list, also from Alfric. The other six complaining to Melchus about how he brought them crappy bread last time, and he should get better <laughs> bread this time.
0: <laughs> Come like, on,
1: man! <laughs> they're such the saintly grade. hermits.
0: Oh so saintly. Yeah, like he didn't have to add that in. No, no he
1: absolutely did not. He just decided not. to.
0: Okay, all right. Ugh.
1: I feel like that just amplifies the whole like, how holy are these people exactly? It should yeah. keep having. Okay. All to
0: we do have deaths in these. I mean, we have the Emperor's death, but I think the death that takes the cake is the first version of the story, where they just, they're like, good, you know, we've shown you our miracle, and now we're just gonna call it a day, call it the end. Yeah. And they just drop dead. That is the most dramatic way to go.
1: Yes, I actually really like that.
0: Did they all just immediately go stiff, or did they collapse Or was it, like, a glitchy video game?
1: I prefer to think they all just, like, died standing up and then fell down all, like, in an an (coughs) undignified fashion, arms and legs everywhere. Yeah,
0: yeah, they just just fall over each other. Oh my gosh. That would, I think that would astound me more than having heard them all come back to life. Like, I I feel Mm -hmm. like I would hear this entire story and I'd be like, wow, they came back from 360 years ago. I can't wait to ask them about how it was back then you know, my master's thesis is really going to be spot on now because right. I have living witnesses, and then they just die. That would be more of a strange miracle to me, I think, is just you watch these guys they're like, yes! And then all six of them simultaneously die.
1: I also like the aftermath. They're like, oh, we better put them in reliquaries, and they appear in a dream and say, don't put us in reliquaries! And then Baron Gould is like, so they're in a reliquary. <laughs>
0: They have to be in a reliquary. I mean, they're just not like a reliquary, a
1: reliquary, but they are in like a, a fancy sarcophagus.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Okay.
1: Bestiary. I don't think there are any mythical critters here. The dog. That's right. The dog with the gift the of prophecy. Dog.
0: He counts because that is it is a variation of the same story.
1: What about the Queen of Sheba's ass?
0: Well, we can add it. We can add it. Oh yeah, we can add them in the list. The ten, what is it, the ten animals that get into
1: Yeah, I want to look Paradise. more into these animals.
0: Yeah. But there we go. We got a prophesying dog.
1: You know what would be a... Gr- okay, I'm, I'm going to transition Ooh. directly into the next segment with this. So, future Mac, put the music here. You should take the ten animals that are allowed to go to heaven and make them a pantheon for your next D&D campaign
0: amazing yes 12 out of 10 that would be an incredible pan yeah i
1: absolutely want to do that
0: especially if someone asks you like who do you worship like oh i worship the queen of Sheba's ass."
1: <laughs> i mean i'm not opposed
0: <laughs> there's just there's so many opportunities for you there as a dm i love it okay what else have we got for a D and D game? I mean, you've got the like the basic premise. We talked about this a little yeah. earlier. Is your entire party can wake up from this, or you can have like a certain character in of of, of the players have this backstory. I mean, heck, you could even have it be in the background, and the players have to figure out what the heck is going on, and then. These, these NPCs just up and die.
1: Yeah, there's so many possible uses for this. You could you could make it be the, the PCs are being woken up. You could make them have to deal with the fallout politically from the sainted martyrs from 300 years ago suddenly coming back and being like, hey, we want to be involved yeah. in the way the church is run now.
0: Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. And then you can also just use any of Elfrick's sermons, I mm-hmm. think. I think that's a... Cause Just imagine, just imagine if you're sitting at the table and your DM is describing the city and da-da-da, and then he mentions this street preacher, and they're like, oh yeah, street preacher, let me just go up and have a listen to what he's saying. And your DM pulls this out and just starts going, and just starts reading this off or reciting this off, like, I would be blown away, I would want to know more. (laughs) I'd be like, this is, like, this is amazing.
1: And... There is no shortage of Alfric.
0: Yes, that is for sure.
1: His Lives of Saints are like the third volume of his sermons.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's got a lot there. He's got a lot. All right, anything else for a D&D game?
1: I'm coming up empty.
0: The only thing I can think of is the devaluation of currency or exchanging currencies.
1: That would be both like a really interesting thing to include in a D&D game and something that your players would probably be like, uh, why are you making us do yeah.
0: this? Yeah, that's fair. I think it depends specifically on if it's plot-relevant. If you can make it plot-relevant, then it's interesting. So if they're specifically looking for a set of coinage from Emperor What's-His-Name from however many Mm -hmm. years ago, then that's interesting, because they have to be on the lookout for that. But if you make them exchange currency, then they're just going (laughs) to hate you, right? How many ages hence shall this, our lofty scene, be acted over? In states unborn and accents yet unknown. Echoes in
1: modern culture. What do we have here? I feel like Baron Gould kind of covered that even.
0: Yeah, yeah. He really sort of covered the expansive list of people who've fallen asleep and woken up several hundred years later. There's a couple of other connections that I thought of that we didn't talk about in some of the Irish folklore in terms of people being whisked away to fairyland and then coming back.
1: Even in a mound.
0: Yeah. And so there's that. Or the other one, they're called Ektra, which is like a journey in Old Irish. And one of the more famous ones is when this guy goes to fairyland and they're like, well, you can't go back now because it's not going to be good. And he gets to shore and he sees everything from the boat and it's 300 years later or whatever. And as soon as he sets foot onto shore, he turns to dust. Because that's what happens when you're 300 years old, is you, your bones turn to dust. So he was actually that old, like his body just disintegrates.
1: I feel like that says a lot about, what's the word I'm looking for, former times, that people are always like, mm. I want to go back to the mortal world. I feel yeah. like here in the 21st century, if someone was stolen away to live with the fairies, they'd be like, I can stay, right? I don't have to go back, do I? Yeah. I don't have to go. Like, why would you want to? Yeah.
0: But you want to go back. Yeah, that's that's an interesting, interesting commentary on our times, mm. I suppose. Mm. All right.
1: That has always bothered me about those stories when where, like, someone has stolen away to the fairy realm, and they're like, oh, but I have to go back. And I'm like, why?
0: Why? Just stay yeah. here.
1: What's so great about the mortal yeah, world? Yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah. Come find me, fairies. I'll go drown myself in a peat bog, and hopefully... <laughs> find fairyland
1: i mean look if you're gonna die a peat bog is the best place you can be a bog mummy later
0: that's true that is so true Ooh, but you better have a really cool last meal because you know that that's what they're that's what they're gonna find in your stomach or just eat something really weird so they're like yes the the common food of that day was chocolate cake and wasabi or something, and then they have a completely wrong idea about what people
1: I was going to say, like, mouse skulls or something. The Yeah, there you go. Ooh. It would be really unpleasant, but you'd know that it would be worth it for confusing future archaeologists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a ritual last meal. It had some significance of some things. like, yeah, to screw you guys up. Oh, okay. Now let's sit at the
1: kitchen table.
0: We don't really have any mythical food.
1: No, but we do know there is good bread and crappy bread.
0: There is good bread and crappy bread. And they had bread stamps, too. you say
1: bread stamps?
0: Yeah. Oh, you don't know about this? Oh, my gosh. It's so cool. So the Romans specifically, but they also did it through the Middle Ages, had bread stamps because it had to be up to a certain quality so you could sell it. Because you could bake really cheap bread with either crappy flour or even sawdust and try and sell it that way to make cheaper Mm -hmm. bread. And so each loaf of bread came from a different bakery. And so they stamped it with either a baker's sign or like the okay from whoever was like the guy who went around checking loaves of bread to make sure they're up to par. So if you got a crappy loaf of bread, you could take it and you could go back to the bakery and say, you sold me a really crappy loaf of bread. I want my money back.
1: Feel like I've heard about similar practices, but I, I may not have ever heard about it, it being the yeah. Romans and bread, or maybe yeah. I didn't have forgotten. This is this is interesting.
0: It, it was it was fairly common practice, I think, through part of the Middle Ages as well.
1: I do know about like the regulations on beer. Yeah, how you had to get that checked out and that signed off on, but it's hard to stamp beer.
0: Yeah, the casks. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, there's there's actual little really
1: cool. bread stamps. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I kind of want to bake some bread just so I can stamp it. I know,
0: right? It's so it's so appealing to stamp bread. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a whirl. Make your own stamp. Send us pictures. Decorate your bread loaves.
1: I mean, everyone learned how to bake during the plague, right? That's true. That's true. We're
0: all doing, you know, sourdough home starters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I w- I just read books for this. Actually, that's a, yeah. Most of what I did.
0: Pretty much. Oh. Street smarts! There's so many lessons in this text. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Street smarts! What do we learn in this text? Well, I mean, it depends on which story you're looking at. But I think the the first question that we had to ask is, what does Alfred hope that we learn from this?
1: I legitimately do not know (laughs) what he thinks we're supposed to get from this.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good question.
1: I feel like... In both cases, like the point that the person telling the story is trying to make is there is a bodily resurrection. stop arguing,
0: yeah, pretty much it's just a it's just about the heresy, yeah. Well, there you go. Street smarts. There is a bodily resurrection. Stop arguing.
1: (laughs) Definitely don't get into any serious arguments about it because that's a dumb argument to have unless you are getting like a doctorate in divinity or something. Other street smarts. If anyone starts asking you where you got those coins, don't try to talk your way out of it. Just leave. Just
0: leave. Yeah. Yeah. Check which town you're going into before you get that far. I mean, what do you do in that situation? What do you do when you wake up 300 years in the future?
1: Well, I mean, apparently you go into town and keep thinking, hey, wow, this is this is super different. And I don't recognize it at all, but it's got to be the same town because it's in the same place. And then eventually you ask someone.
0: I mean, that seems like a reasonable thing to do.
1: Yeah. I, honestly, that's a pretty realistic reaction. Yeah. I don't recognize anything, but there's no way that this is a different town.
0: Yeah. Maybe check the cave that you're in first. When you wake up in the cave, check the cave. Just in case there happens to be a plaque that describes what happened to you.
1: Whenever you wake up anywhere, see if there's a plaque nearby explaining that you're dead.
0: Oh man, I could start doing that.
1: (laughs) I know, it's a good practice. Yeah. You want to know if you're dead. you gotta
0: check. You gotta check whether you're dead or not. You never know, listeners. One day... You're going to wake up. It'll be 300 years in the future. So just, you know, one day it could happen to you by the grace of God.
1: Here's some street smarts. If there's something weird and supernatural going on, like if the town you thought you were going to has been replaced by a completely different town, go and get your buddies instead of going in there alone.
0: True. True. Yeah. Better to do it as a team. Yeah. So we are learning things from this sermon. So thank you, Alfric, for establishing that for us. We've learned from your wisdom (laughs) so far in the future. All right. Now we can go on to this
1: Best moment.
0: I think for me, in the first story, Malchus's initial freaking out.
1: It's pretty great.
0: It's just such a wonderful moment to watch because he seems so genuinely distressed about what's going on.
1: Yeah. I still really like the way that the bakers respond to him trying to <laughs> pay with these old coins, because like he keeps talking about, oh my god, there are crosses everywhere, and everyone's talking about Jesus all the time, and like it's like built up as this really devout place, yeah. And then immediately, someone's like, "Where'd you get the money?" I'm like, "This is a very realistic <laughs> depiction of just human nature."
0: It is. That's very true. That's like very it, true. it doesn't
1: matter that it doesn't matter. That it's a different religion or anything.
0: Like, they no. just like, oh.
1: He has money. Let's get it.
0: Human greed. Oh, man. Okay.
1: The court. Okay, before we do the court, I yes. think we have to establish something. Okay. If you claim a historical figure, are you getting the version of that person who is depicted in the story, or are you getting the actual historical figure?
0: Ooh. I think we have to go with the one in the story because. All right. Like, you picked Maeve last time, right?
1: Did I? No, I picked the prophetess.
0: Oh, yeah, you picked the prophetess. That's right. But there's multiple versions of who she could be based on the different Irish stories. So I think we have to go story by story. All right. Okay. So is it my turn? It is your turn. Oh, man. So I feel like you already have a really good idea of who you want in your court.
1: I mean, I'm questioning it now. Oh.
0: I think I'm still going to go with Malchus. Because he does so much of the busy work for these guys. He seems just like a really genuine figure. And he's like, he's a little bit you know. of a loose can and he doesn't quite know what's going on. And I just think he would be a lot of fun to to hang out with.
1: He does seem like a nice guy.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll give you that.
0: As long as he doesn't, you know, drop dead on me all of a sudden.
1: <laughs> Which apparently is a risk. <laughs>
0: But he goes in and he's just, he's very much like, wow, what a nice town. And he doesn't try and fight back against being robbed or anything. He just seems like a guy who just is genuinely enjoying life. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, I'll go with Malchus. Who are you picking?
1: I'm still, I'm debating.
0: Okay, who would you have picked?
1: All right, if we'd said it's the historical uh, version, I would have absolutely picked Theodosius, hands down.
0: Oh yeah, he's pretty cool.
1: Uh, He founded the University of Constantinople. He commissioned both the Theodosian Law Codes and the Theodosian Walls, which are the reason Constantinople was so successful for so long. True.
0: True. Yeah, he's a great guy.
1: Yeah, To be fair, the the, the story
0: doesn't say he didn't do those things.
1: It does not say he doesn't do those things. That's true. The other side of that is... If you pick Decius and get the historical Decius, he kind of sucks. But this story Decius is pretty cool. True. Although he is much more evil than the historical Decius. I was going
0: to say, he he does have explicit evil characteristics.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think I'm still going to take Theodosius. I
0: think Theodosius is the right choice. I considered him, but I don't know. I feel like there's a bunch of emperors in our courts already, and I just... You know, I just, I would want to talk to Malchus. I would want to know what his day-to-day life is like.
1: Technically, this is only the second actual emperor. Is it? And the first one who has a name. That's true. The first time we did the Gesteromanorum, you chose, quote, a certain emperor, unquote, who is never named. That's
0: true. We like him too, we like him too.
1: And the second time we did the guest Romanorum, you picked Julius Caesar and I picked Pompey the Great, both of whom were powerful Roman politicians, but neither of whom was actually emperor. We're not
0: technically emperors, that's true. The first citizens Green shakes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I want to be in my town. The first citizen. Ugh okay.
1: Uh, final rating. Alright, do we want to do these separately?
0: I say we put them together, because yeah. I'm doing multiple versions of the toy, but it's still the same story. So I say we push these All together. Right. And together, I think this is a great story. It's weird. It's so weird. And the, the fact that they both end completely differently, and that <laughs> like one of them has a treasure, and, the, and they just turn out to be hermits, and then the other one, they don't have a treasure, and they end up dying anyway. <laughs> like, come on, man. Ugh. I'm giving this one a solid eight. I really enjoy this one.
1: Maybe it's that actually having to read all of Alfred's reminders of oh. now remember he doesn't know what year it was took some of the shine off of it for me. But I did. I do enjoy the basic conceit, and I liked the over-the-top descriptions of the the persecutions that we also mostly skipped over because it was legitimately like pages. The gnashing of teeth. The ripping of clothes and bodices. I also like the idea that there's a prophetic dog in one version oh, that we yeah. unfortunately didn't get to. So I'm going to give it a seven. Fair.
0: All right. Beautiful. Do we have a uh, leech's
1: corner? Welcome to the leech's corner. All right. So we're back to the beginning of the leech book. This is, As you remember, it goes from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. That's and right. this is one for the eyes. So it's near the beginning. Oh, okay leech dums for mistiness of the eyes. Take juice or blossoms of celandine. Mingle with honey of Dumbledore's.
0: I love that already. Oh my gosh. Okay.
1: For those listening, Dumbledore is an old word for bumblebee. We are not talking about the Harry Potter character.
0: That is still so amazing and I did not know that. How did I not know that? A bumblebee? Okay, sorry. Start from the beginning. Read what exactly we're using. Is it just Honey? Of bumblebees? Uh,
1: yeah, honey. Honey of Dumbledores.
0: Dumbledores? oh, That's so cute!
1: Introduce it into a brazen vessel. Half warm it neatly on warm gleeds. I don't know what a gleed is, actually.
0: Oh, that'd be good to look up.
1: Yeah, let me Google that real quickly.
0: By the way, I did look up what Celandine uh, is, and mm-hmm. one of them is in the Buttercup family, and two of them two of the species, are in the poppy family. So, yeah.
1: Interesting. Might be some opiates. I was going to
0: say, you might have some opioids in there.
1: Also, a gleed is apparently just a word for a live coal.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, so start from the top now that we know what
1: we're talking about here. Juice or blossoms of celandine mingle with honey of Dumbledore's. Introduce it into a brazen vessel. Half-warm it neatly on warm gleeds, till it be sodden. I don't know. This is a good leechdom for dimness of eyes. For the same, mingle the juice of wild rue, dewy and bruised. Mingle with equally much of filtered honey. Smear the eyes with that. For mistiness of eyes, many men, lest their eyes should suffer the disease, look into cold water, and then are able to see far.
0: <laughs> they, just, they just look into cold water?
1: I think the implication is like they, they open their eyes underwater.
0: Oh, like they dunk their head in. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Okay. I think that's come up in other leechdoms is, is that, is looking in water means opening, opening their eyes, eyes in, in the water. water. Okay. That checks out. That harmeth not the vision, but much wine drinking and other sweetened drinks and meats, and those especially which remain the upper region of the womb and cannot digest, but there form evil humors and thick ones. Huh leak and coldwort and all that are so austere are also to be avoided and care must be had that a man lie not in bed in daytime supine ha huh. and cold and wind and uh, it says reek but that's just smoke in this context that makes sense and dust these things and the like to these every day are injurious to the eyes allergies for mistiness of eyes Take green fennel, put it into water for thirty days in a crock or earthen vessel, one that is pitched on the outside. Fill it then with rain water. After that, throw off the fennel, and with the water every day wash the eyes and open them again. Again, from the vapor and steam of ill juices, and from nausea cometh mist of the eyes, and the sharpness and corrupt humor causes that against which this is to be done. For mist of eyes, take of celandine's juice a spoonful, another of fennel's, A third of southern woods juice. No idea what that is. And two spoon measures of the tear of honey. Cocaine clarifies that the tear of honey is honey that, like, comes out of the honeycomb without pressure. Like, you don't have to squeeze it out. It just drops out on its own. Mingle them together. And then with a feather, put some into the eyes in the morning. And when it be midday, and again at evening after that, when it is dried up and spent. For sharpness of the salve, which I think means... If all this stuff hurts your eyes, take milk of a woman who hath a child. Apply it to the eyes.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That last one really threw me for a loop there. Right? I mean, like, if you do get something in your eye, you can use milk. Like, milk has been known for that stuff.
1: Does it help if it's human milk, though? I don't think so. (laughs) Ooh.
0: So I want to know, are you, like, there's sort of an implication that you're applying this stuff to your eyes, but are you, like... Is that, what you're, is that what they would be doing with the celandine as well? They're not yeah, ingesting I, the opiates?
1: I think if it's not otherwise stated in this particular recipe, I think it is all like, and put this on your eyes. Yeah,
0: interesting. So I did look up because I was curious if this was actually true. If you drink a lot over a long period of time, it does permanently damage your eyesight. Yeah. So there is increased dryness and slower pupil reaction immediately, but you get more cataracts, and you get age-related macular degeneration. There's decreased vision due to vitamin deficiency because your liver can't absorb the vitamins you need, and then of course like right. prenatal as well.
1: Did not realize that. Yeah.
0: So they were they were actually right about that. Like if you because I was thinking like okay did did people observe. That older alcoholics had worse eyesight because then that would check out.
1: Or people who lie in bed at daytime uh, in the wrong manner.
0: Yeah, I I guess.
1: I don't know. I don't know how that would would work. Anything.
0: I'm surprised they didn't say like reading really late at night.
1: I mean, I feel like not enough people were reading for that to come up.
0: That's. I mean, that's fair. But these are educated people who have these texts. So if you've got like a candle and you know. Maybe that's a, a modern a modern myth that we've that we've taken.
1: Oh, also, uh, supine means on the back, so that means if you're lying in bed during the day, you have to lie on your face
0: or your side.
1: Otherwise, otherwise, it'll hurt your eyes.
0: That's strange. That's a weird one. Well, there you go.
1: Yeah, that's what I've got there.
0: I like the Dumbledore's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're adding that to the DM's dictionary. Okay. <laughs> Just because, like, that's that would be fun to throw on your players.
1: What? It's a bee. It's a bee. What are you talking about? I haven't read this book. Oh
0: dear. Okay.
1: Well. Do we have anything left to deal with?
0: Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions, or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, the Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify.
1: Da, 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 da. Many words, many words. I've skipped so much of this because it's just over and over the same thing.
0: He's so descriptive.
1: He really is.
0: It's like Charles Dickens, but more. It's like Charles, if Charles Dickens wrote Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it?